0: Awaken Beauties, finally, it's here. The truth to empower women to true inner beauty through a healthy mind and inner biology. I am your hostess, Cassandra Keel, a 20-year salon owner, organic beauty product formulator, positive mind management, and clinical hypnotherapist. And I am here to help you stay sane, get sleep, and bring your sexy back. Sponsored by evokebeauty.com. beauty.com Now, let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the Awaken Beauty Podcast. I am Cassandra and I am your clinical hypnotherapist biofeedback practitioner and organic beauty manifesto. And today we are changing the tune and we are live on the wisdom app as well, which I'm so excited to bring some of these different teachings and different podcasts and mini podcasts for the awaken beauty podcast. So if you're not aware of the wisdom app, go ahead and search the wisdom app in your app store, and you'll be able to get all of these podcasts for free and where they are archived as well. So today we're going to start jumping into a little bit of the mysticals of plant medicine. Now in previous episodes, I've talked about energetics, uh, what exactly energetics are. We've explored the five energetic bodies, and I really want to start to bring in some of the actualized science behind psychedelics. And really the, the main purpose and my passion behind this is the very, very essence of our mental health breakdown in, let's just call it the global state of the world right now. And my fascination with plant medicine is not new. I started formulating with cannabis over four years ago, high extracts of terpenes, understanding the different cannabinoids, how they affect the endocannabinoid system, the hormones, the mental health, the mind, inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. And this brings me into the new and wondrous world of psychedelics. Now, when you hear the word psychedelics, I'm sure you get a very beautiful neon picture in your mind, or perhaps a flashback to the 70s. But this is not what this episode is going to be about. This is going to be 101. and we're going to start stacking these so that we can really start to understand both the history, the present time, and the research that is going on, and opportunities that I will be offering in the near future through the University UCLA and science around psilocybin. Now, my interest within psychedelics really stems from my late-night, Late, I should say, late life diagnosis of ADHD, as well as my relentless research behind consciousness and states of consciousness. Now, as a clinical hypnotherapist, I understand all the brainwaves, all the aspects but until you really, really start to tap into psychedelics and how long they've been used and the fascinating science behind it, I believe that this is the breakthrough for not only resistance to SSRIs and antidepressants, but also for individuals to be able to start breaking through those patterns that we have in our brain. So in simplest form, these patterns, these roots, what Joe Dispenza says, you wake up in the morning and you continue to just remember who you were yesterday, the rigidity, um, all of these aspects are basically well grooved pathways in the brain. So keep that in mind as we start to go through today. And I really want to encourage you to really uh, stay present and really understand, because if we don't understand the basics of what this plant medicine is, if you enter into this world, you won't have the full embodiment of respecting where it comes from. Now, today we're going to basically be going over the history the terminology, what exactly psychedelics are. And so let's go ahead and just start from the ground up in this exploration of psychedelics. Now, first and foremost, what are psychedelics and where do they come from? And we're gonna discuss various types of substances and how they are characterized based on their structure and their function. And so let's go ahead and just take a trip back in time where we will give you a broad view of the rich and extensive history of plant medicine. And for millennia, cultures have been shaped by mind altering compounds. And the modern world is now once again in pursuit in incorporating psychedelics into society for both medicinal and mental health, as well as spiritual purposes. Now, I just love the definition, and I think we have this pattern that enters our mind when we think of the word psychedelics. But psyche means soul of the mind, and the other part of it is to manifest. And later on in history, we came across soul manifesting substances and soul revealing. So the term psychedelic really comes from the Greek word psyche, meaning soul or mind and Delian meaning to manifest. And during a letter exchange in 1956, author Aldous Huxley proposed the term soul revealing and then English psychiatrist, Osman countered with psychedelic, which he felt included the concepts of enriching the mind and enlarging the vision. And the term stuck and has come to include substances from several different drug categories. So after all, if we really look at soul or mind manifesting, encapsulates many possibilities of non-ordinary states of consciousness. So the history of the terminology. Now, early research stated the feature that distinguishes the psychedelic agents from other classes of drug in their capacity to reliably induce states of altered perception, thought, and feeling that are not experienced otherwise, except in our dream states or at times of religious exaltation. Now, the path to finding a fitting terminology that reflects the properties and the effects was much more complex. So then we tap into the psychomedics, mimicking psychosis. Doesn't sound very friendly, but in 1940 through the 50s, psychiatrists used the term because research participants under the influence of LSD seemed to exhibit similar patterns of behavior and mental states of schizophrenic patients. Furthermore, it was thought that by ingesting LSD, the psychiatrist or therapist might temporarily experience the internal states of the psychotic patients themselves. Now let's tap into the term hallucinogen. It means to wander in the mind. And I just love bringing actual terminology and definitions together because it really creates this beautiful, creative exploration behind the negative and biased connotations that our society has brought us to believe. So again, hallucinogen is to wander in the mind. And this gave way to the term hallucinogen, meaning to wander in the mind, meaning it is still used by some science today. However, it is not an accurate description because users of psychedelics far more often experience perpetual distortions exaggerations or illusions rather than a hallucination, which is typical of a psychotic state. So I think it's really, really important to really understand the refocus of the term. Now, furthermore, the term hallucinogen highlights only the sensory aspect of the experience, which is often less prominent than its emotional, psychological or spiritual components. Now, the next is important. You see this often on the internet, and it's entheogen, and it means generating the God within. Now, a popular term in modern day, entheogen, means generating the gods within because psychedelic compounds naturally occurs in mushrooms, plants, or animals, and they are called entheogens. Now, the next is empathogen, and this means generating a state of empathy. The next is entogen, which is touching within or generating relatedness. And in 1983, Ralph Metzner and David Nichols came up with the term empathogen, meaning generating the states of empathy, to really classify what the experience of the MDMA as having a novel property. And the term was later replaced by Nichols with the word enctogen, meaning touching within. And empathogen wasn't quite the right fit for Nichols, who thought it could be just a little bit associated with the term Pathogenesis and the Greek root pathos, which means suffering and might limit the understanding of its potential effects. So, today, both terms empathogen and entactogen are interchangeably used for the substance of MDMA. Now, what are some different ways that we can really understand to describe psychedelics? Have a quick drink here. Now, let's go back to Huxley and Osmond. Now, they settled on psychedelics and the term stuck, yet, they really wanted to describe this experience of soul manifesting and substances through a variety of lenses. And at the very microscopic level, psychedelics can be described through their molecular structure or how their atoms are arranged themselves. So when we discuss psychedelics in terms of receptors in the brain, this is where it gets juicy. I just love this. These parts of just really directing it back to neuroscience is that the pharmacological aspect of this. We can really describe them by how they affect activity in particular regions and networks within the brain, right? So this is neurobiological, such as the default mode network. Now, if you don't know the default mode network, I talk about it often in my research and developmental research with ADHD, And I really fell in love with psychedelics based on the DMN, the default mode network, because as a clinical hypnotherapist and individuals that are anxious, have trauma, have a lot of depression in their life, what happens is that we get stuck in the back of the brain. We get stuck in the amygdala response and that default mode network, we're ruminating quite often. And rumination then turns into catastrophizing, which then turns into anxiety, which then could go into depression. And so if we don't get out of that default mode network and into our prefrontal cortex where we're conscious, we're in action mode and we're clear and we're actually taking action on the thought at hand, then we just end up ruminating a lot of our lives. And what I say is we die to have never truly lived. And so this is why I love this aspect of psychedelics is because as we learn, as we go a little bit further, it's almost like butter. I think of everything in terms of energy. And it's like having a hard stick of butter energetically as the physical self, right? And as you start to melt into the experience of either microdosing or having a journey, that butter starts to melt the default mode network. And it's almost like it covers the whole plate where you're starting to open up all aspects and portals of the brain. So you're not getting stuck in that rigidity and you start to see things from all different perspectives. And it really up levels you out of that current, um, uh, you know, relation to yourself, the very small relation to ourselves that we have. Right. Um, So from a psychological standpoint, we can describe psychedelics in terms of how they shift consciousness. And we can discuss clinical research findings of the potential therapeutic applications for the treatment of depression, PTSD, ADHD, and a variety of other health conditions. And we also commonly describe the feminology of a substance, meaning a person's firsthand experience of those effects. So we can really discuss psychedelics from a cultural perspective, looking at how these plants and substances have been integrated into rituals and really a worldview of human cultural past and now present. So there's all of these different aspects. And so if we really look at the structural characterization, psychedelics can be structurally characterized into two broad groups. First, we have the tryptamines. Second, we have the phenylalanines. Now, tryptamines have the closest resemblance to serotonin and include my friend psilocybin. It also includes dimethyl excuse my pronunciations but um let's just call it DMT i'm not even going to try and then we have the 5-MeO DMT we have lysergic acid which is LSD and ibogaine now the phenolethylenes more closely resemble dopamine and include different, um, different alterations with, let's just call it pharmaceuticals. So amphetamines, uh, such as medical Adderall, uh, we have the methametamine and the MDMA. So it's really important to understand the differentiation between the tryptamines and the phenylenamines. So again, tryptamines is going to be your serotonin, which is going to be your psilocybin, DMT, and 5-MeO-DMT, and LSD, and ibogaine, where the counter of that is going to resemble dopamine, which is going to include anaphetamines, medications like Adderall, and MDMA. So dopamine and serotonin. It's really important to understand that. And we'll be able to see that the tryptamines- are close resemblance to that serotonin. If you look at an image, it's very similar. And the opposite, the phenylaminines are really a close resemblance of dopamine. Now, the tryptamines are serotonin related again, and the phenylamine is the dopamine related. Now, the other re- molecules that surround us outside of these two broad categories are substances not structurally related to tryptamines or phenylenamines, but still considered psychedelic. And these are shared properties with classical psychedelics. And these are going to be molecular and examples of them, as I open talking about my experience with formulating with CBD and cannabis is examples are THC. Which is found in cannabis. Cannabis, other molecules are going to be ketamine. Now, ketamine is strongly used for severe PTSD, some forms of psychosis, and then we have nitrous oxide and salvinorin, which is found in salvia plant. Now, the salvia plant is interesting because it's almost like um a grounded, it's, it's got a lot of texture to it and you either chew on it or you put it into a tea. It's, it's not necessarily a powder form. So moving on again, we've got THC, ketamine, nitrous oxide, and salvia. And now I want to move into the prevalence of use and their side effects and their effects. Now, each psychoactive compound has unique effects and psychedelics are being studied to treat a wide range of mental health conditions, which is why I'm so deeply ingrained in helping individuals with the integration process and really including different aspects of the populations of anxiety, depression, uh, ASD, ADHD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety related to life-threatening illnesses. It's pretty fascinating for end of life and allowing that to really become a beautiful experience, as well as recent research around eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and addictions. Now, if you understand the complexity of all these different molecules and their shapes and how it correlates with the different neurotransmitters in the mind it's quite fascinating but i want to tap into the question between well what what should we do should we take a synthetic or a natural plant or a fungi so we really need to address a western bias where psychedelics are often removed from their plant or fungi form and from the knowledge and the traditions of indigenous cultures and discussed on a molecular level. Now, mescaline containing cacti, for instance, can be connected to many indigenous ceremonies in its whole plant form. And the psychoactive ingredient mescaline has also been isolated and synthesize in labs for research purposes. So there's really not a right answer or a wrong answer here because we can use these for research and really um, be able to extract consistency for their use. Now, plants and fungi include the taparanthi or iboga plant from which ibogaine is extracted. And another example is ayahuasca, and it's a brew made from plants containing DMT and alkaloids. Other examples include psilocybin mushrooms and mescaline containing cacti. Psychedelic molecules can also be found in animals. For example, 5-MeO-DMT is found in the venom of buffalo toads. Now, some of you have maybe heard of um, the different uh, psychedelic trips um, where they extract this venom from the toads. I was on just a wonderful clubhouse room the other day um, from different indigenous tribes talking about this and the deep concern for individuals of the Western culture going into these different tribals and trying to extract all these toads, which is absolutely irresponsible. And I take no stand for, but moving on, you know, after researchers identify the active compounds responsible for inducing the psychoactive effects, the compounds can usually be synthesized in a lab, right? So ibogaine is one exemption. As this complex molecule has yet to be synthesized on a larger scale. And these synthetic versions often produce many similar effects by plants and mushrooms, potentially have other active compounds that contribute to the efforts. So, other psychedelic substances such as ketamine, MDMA, and 2C compounds were discovered in the labs and have not ever been found in botanicals. Let me say that again. Ketamine and MDMA have not been found in botanicals, but they're widely used for incredible benefit. Now we're going to move into using psychedelics and the respect for the plant and typically how psychotherapists, therapists, coaches, etc., set up the experience. And first we want to go over set and setting. Now, no matter the classification of psychedelic substances, A person's experience on any drug is heavily influenced by the internal state of a person and environment and the social context where the substance is taken. And this commonly referred to as set and setting. Now, psychedelics amplify emotions and thoughts, and depending on a person's internal state and environment can bring euphoria or the opposite, terrifying waves of anxiety and paranoia. So it's really important to create a safe and protected atmosphere in clinical research trials and experiential use. And a great amount of attention is paid to the physical setup of the room and the supportive, loving care provided by the sitters. Now, a person is first psychologically prepared for the experience to reduce any stress or manage the expectations prior to entering the altered state of consciousness, and it's met with a trained sitter. And it's the fact is they're always present with you. They're there to support you on whatever unfolds and a person's physical and mental state, as well as the environment are critical factors to become this interwoven, beautiful narrative of their own personal journey. And one thing here I just want to state is that, you know, often people will talk about bad trips. And, you know, I was on a uh, six hour training today with the IFS model and psychedelics. And, you know, these parts therapy and integrating them into psychedelics is really an incredible experience and it brings you into a whole new dimension. And I cannot express enough that I don't believe there are any bad trips. If we really understand the complexities of the different parts that we hold as an identity, we have very, very complex and multitudes of identities that either have protected us, have wanted to keep us safe, that sometimes could act like a little brother and annoy the shit out of us. But my point being is that a bad trip is just basically what I think is really important for a trip sitter or a therapist is to really do a meditative state before somebody enters into a journey, if that's your choice outside of microdosing. And to really allow all those parts to be maybe even put on a base and just let them know that they can maybe sit aside for a while. And if they want to come into the experience, they can. But we invite them in and we integrate them. We don't go in and cut a bunch of cords. We don't slice them off. It's the very opposite of communal healing, of really understanding the integrated identities that you have that are a part of you. Now, the one antidote to this is that when we really tap into consciousness and states of consciousness, and we go back to research on energetics, we also understand that there are some things that come along the way, meaning identities that may want to stick around or hang on to us, bask from generational trauma or generational, seven generations from the past. And we have that validated through science. And if this is the case, we welcome this opportunity to really enter into that aspect of inviting it in and allowing that conversation to be have so that you can come out of the experience as an integrated person that no longer carries these generations from the past. And this is a really incredible opportunity to clear that as you move forward. So I just wanted to add that in there. So why even as we close this up, why why study psychedelics, right? The answer to me is very personal, and it's going to be different from a neuroscientist to an anthropotanist to a trauma therapist or a religious group. But for each, psychedelics are extremely potent tools to advance our understanding of the world and our human nature. Because there are so many angles and aspects of study. Psychedelic science invites collaboration across many, many disciplines. And what I love most is we're coming back into this tribe. We're coming back into this indigenous ceremonial use of healing. So I wanted to just kind of tap into a little bit in the respects for those of ceremonial use and the indigenous that came before now, ancient, I should say, and indigenous cultures have shown us the wisdom of using these psychedelics through healing rituals and religious ceremonies and respect and reciprocity for these cultures and various disciplines now have the ability to have giving us the access, right? The efficiency of these medicines to heal mental suffering and may work in collaboration with perhaps even the indigenous people to learn from their knowledge. And truly the protection of the sacredness of using these entheogenetic plants and fungi by indigenous peoples is an ethical imperative piece that we really need to take into consideration. And attention to the environment and the cultural impacts of Western use of psychedelics is necessary to honor and preserve the ancient traditions, and to protect the rights of communities with these plants, fungi, and religious and healing purposes. Now, to end this off, we're just going to go into the brain function, the psychology, and then we'll go ahead and end out this conversation. Um, and this comes to brain function, right? So the neuroscience may help all of us understand more about how our brain relates to the psychology of human behavior. And in the fifties, it was proposed that the effect of LSD may be due to the disturbance of the recently discovered serotonin neurotransmitter system. And while these specific hypotheses turned out to be inaccurate, the study did implicate serotonin in regulating mood, which led to the monoamine hypothesis of mood disorders and the eventual development of the antidepressants of SSRIs. Now, early research have also paved the way for hypotheses on molecular specificity since many psychedelics cause profound effects in very small amounts. And alongside the art of these brain imaging, beautiful graphs. Current research is making headway and assisting and really seeing the role of psychedelics in neuroplasticity and providing insights into neurological disorders, as well as neurogenesis. Now, consciousness and brain activity is being explored with these cutting edge, evolving psychedelic substances through uh, uh, many different universities, as well as now medical field as well. So when we really look at this, this, to bring this to an end. This is really what started my journey is a clinical hypnotherapist, uh, someone that helps individuals with ADHD, trauma, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really comes down to the treatment for mental health conditions. Now, the therapeutic potential of psychedelics and the treatment of mood disorders, post-traumatic stress, addiction, all of these, uh, ADHD mood disorders, food disorders is really under myriads of clinical trials. And you can go to usgov and look up different trials in your area. And the treatment protocols have a preparatory phase. They have the psychedelic dosing sessions, and then the integration therapy after the experience. And then the in-depth therapeutic component is a critical part of the treatment is the after it's the post it's integrating it into your life. So during an MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, study participants receive the MDMA while processing emotions and memories related to the past trauma in psilocybin trials for cancer patients with anxiety and depression mystical type experiences and the exploration of consciousness helped many of them better cope with their illness and have greater satisfaction. Now, there's other research that progresses a large scale of clinical trials, and there's new studies out there assessing whether psychedelics may be helpful in the treatment of eating disorders, opiate disorders, alcohol, nicotine dependence, OCD, cluster and migraine disorders, ADHD, depression, and Alzheimer's. And the field of psychology is really investigating all of these new questions about consciousness through psychedelic research. The mystical experience are strikingly similar to the effects of psychedelic experiences of meditation, imploring research to dig deeper into the effects of these substances. And facing higher rates of depression, suicide, and epidemics of just absolute isolation and loneliness and opiate use. It's a novel treatment for really those that are in desperate need, but also for those at large, you know, especially, you know, when I think about the comorbidities of ADHD. And so if you just pull out ADHD, but then you look at the comorbidities of depression, addiction anxiety, right? They're all combined. Everything is connected. So in summary, this history of psychedelics is a rich and complex, and there are many studies being conducted today, but from their use in the indigenous ceremonies to early research, these substances have been both revered and feared. And I'm here to take a stand as a pro-drug, as an interdisciplinary of really researching and understanding the respect for the use, whether you're doing a journey or my preference, microdosing, where you don't have that psychedelic effect, but you get the mystical, the open-mindedness, the breakdown of the rigidity and the creative aspects, right? There are many multidisciplinaries with psychedelic. It is a renaissance and we truly are on the horizon. And whether you're a licensed therapist, clinical hypnotherapist like myself, or you're interested in assisted therapy, there are many, many solutions out there. If you really search and the efficacy of psychedelics and specifically of psilocybin for alcohol use, um, you know, different mental health disorders, many neuroscientists are very interested in studying these aspects as well as consciousness. There's so much more to discover about psychedelic science and medical applications. So with that said, that is the summation of our first basically psychedelics 101. There's a lot, a lot, lot here. And I'll be presenting findings from different, um, different research in the future. And I'll also be sharing how you could be joining a very, very soon to be research study that I will be taking individuals through on a minimum 90 day journey. And so if you're interested, go ahead and reach out. If you want more beautiful podcasts, just like this, if you're on the wisdom app, go ahead and reach out to YouTube or any Podcast, you know, that you love on um, the Awaken Beauty Podcast. Again, the Awaken Beauty Podcast. If you're looking for CBD, beautiful, beautiful plush um different tinctures. I've got sleep tinctures, pain tinctures, uh, even topicals. Uh, you can find those at evokebeauty.com, evoke beauty.com. And I just invite you into loving what is. And to really understand that encountering the unpleasant is really a transformative path. And it really rests in the ability to let go, to step into personal agency, and to really be open and creative. And, you know, Sufi said best, you know, he said, the wound is the place where the light enters you. Yet it's through these wounds, these cracks that your light escapes into the world and helps others heal. Living perfect lives in perfect ways is not realistic, my friends. And the best version of the world starts with the best version of you. Therefore, showing up for yourself is the first powerful intention. And you can explore these states of consciousness outside of psychedelics. But with the assistance, we are learning that it is perhaps, perhaps one huge breakthrough that our world needs today. So with that said, thank you so much for joining me on the Awakened beauty podcast and on the wisdom app. I hope you enjoyed psychedelics one-on-one one-oh one on and I will see you on the next episode. And until next time stay sane, get sleep and always bring your sexy back. Thanks so much. Well, hello, Awaken Beauty. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Were you inspired? Please leave a comment or your own personal aha moment so others can capture exactly what you did. Also, please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're interested in high quality natural products for your hair, skin, and wellness, including organic CBD please visit evokebeauty.com again that is evokebeauty.com beauty.com and until next time darling stay sane get sleep and bring your sexy back